Crossway Church Sermon Audio. Have you ever considered the biblical category? I'm sure you've heard of it, but have you ever considered it? The biblical category called the busy body. The busy body. And you could find that concept in a few places in the New Testament and in many other places in the Old Testament if you take the time to study. And here's one from the New Testament, if I could have that first passage. There we go. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Powerful passage, isn't it? Um, To put it simply... A busybody is someone who does not focus on their own work, on their own responsibilities, or put another way, they don't focus on what the Lord has called them to. Instead, they get involved in affairs unrelated to their own responsibilities. And because of that, they cause tremendous heartache and stir up trouble for many people, including themselves, but especially for others. It's part of the allure of being a busybody is it doesn't really cost the busybody that much to be a busybody, but it costs others quite a bit for their busybodiness. Now, it's a biblical label that we don't want personally, right? Nevertheless, we've all probably been guilty, probably all of us at some point have been guilty of being busybodies, at least to some degree, at some point. And when we have been busybodies, we know what we need to do. We need to repent. If if you've been a busybody, if I've been a busybody, at the point at which we've been a busybody, let us turn from that and lay it aside. It can do tremendous damage. And unfortunately, there are people that fall into that special label category. And they should repent. Now, today's sermon, just to be clear, is not about biblical categories of speech, as important as that discussion is, as important as this category is. But I wanted to glean a key point from this concept. I was trying to understand how to illustrate this concept, and the idea of a busybody came to mind. And it's this concept that I'm trying to illustrate. It's harmful to lose focus on what you're supposed to be focused upon. We're supposed to be focused on certain things, and it's harmful, it's dangerous when we're not focused on what we're supposed to be focused on. And if you've been given a job, but the work doesn't get done because you're focused elsewhere, you're distracted, you're getting involved where you shouldn't, then whoever is counting on that work to be accomplished will be negatively affected. And this is true. Not only for the individual Christian, but for the church, for the local church. We've got to be focused on what God has called us to be focused on. So let me make this proposition this morning to advance the global mission. Build up the local church. 
to advance the gospel mission, build up the local church. What am I getting at here? What am I trying to say? Well, too often the local church and gospel mission efforts are wrongly separated in the minds of Christians. There's some kind of an idea that what you're doing at the local church, well, that's cushy and it's comfortable and it doesn't matter all that much. It's not that effective. It doesn't make a big impact. It's not that big of a deal. And, and, and if you really want to do work, you've got to go outside, beyond the church. To do mission. It's a false dichotomy. Biblically speaking, when we do the work we're supposed to do, which for us is building up the local church, we are actually advancing the gospel mission in the most effective manner we possibly can. Now, as you know, we do support church planters and missionaries, and we will continue to expand that aspect of life in the church. I make that simple qualification just so that no one takes it to the far extreme of the other side. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. I'm saying let's be focused on what we should be focused on. When people fail to realize that the local church is the critical piece of the global mission that we are in fact called to, they get all kinds of strange and unhelpful notions about what the church ought to be doing. And instead of being unified and joining with the church in what it's doing locally, well, they take away from the strength of the body. So don't lose focus. To advance the global mission, build up the local church. Let's look at three ways to engage this reality. First of all, attain situational awareness. Attain situational awareness. And since we're talking about mission, we have to use words like uh, attain situational awareness. Try to give a little military slant here, a little mission slant. And by situational awareness, I primarily mean finding ourselves in space and time. What is Crossway Church in space and time? Not just, you know, not, not, not in a science fiction space and time sense, but in the reality of space and time, in God's plan, in the gospel story. Let's find ourselves on the gospel map. We've talked about this before, but I thought it would be important to, to raise it again today. Where do we, Crossway Church, come into the gospel story and where do we land on the gospel map? Attain situational awareness. And for this, we go to the book of Acts. So please, please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. The New Testament begins with four accounts of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Our, our everything is built on who Jesus is, the Son of God, come as a man, as a human, and what he's done. In his life and his death and resurrection and ascension and what he does now and what he will be doing. Our everything is built on who Jesus is and what he's done. And then after we hear the accounts of the Christ, we get the story of the church in the book of Acts and after our Lord ascends and after, and then he sends the Holy Spirit right there at the beginning of Acts. 
And so, in Acts chapter 1, starting with verse 6 through 11. Acts 1, 6 through 11. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and the cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. It's going to come in the same way. Isn't that incredible to think about? Jesus will return on a cloud, and in the same way that they're watching him as he goes up, and they're amazed, their jaws are dropped, like, what in the world? I can't believe this. We're going to see that. It's quite a thought. That is an amazing and blessed hope. Now, as those who believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we may be tempted, as, as I would be because of the way I was raised, the church I was raised in, to, to look at this passage and focus uh, primarily and almost really rather exclusively on the promised power of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, that is a glorious truth and something that uh, we've taught about from time to time and, and need to continue to flesh out. And then we seek to apply that, the fact that the gift of the Holy Spirit is given. But but something even bigger is happening here, not, the, not bigger than the Holy Spirit per se, but something that God is laying out. When you look at these verses here, what you see, what you see in verse 8 is an outline of the book of Acts, which really is an outline of what God's about to do in the world. Now that Jesus has ascended and he sent his Holy Spirit, and what he's about to do in the world is he's going to He's going to send the gospel globally. It's going to start in Jerusalem. It's going to go to Judea. It's going to spread to Samaria. And it's going to go to the ends of the earth, right? So Jerusalem, this primary city, this Mount Zion, we've just been talking about this a lot, right? From Isaiah, this city of God, that, that eventually the new heavens and new earth. And when the new earth comes, down will come a new city, a new Jerusalem. That's the base. That's the main place. That's the point from where the gospel emanates from. It was a time and a place where Jesus was crucified and was buried and was resurrected and ascended. It all happened right there. But from there, the apostles will go forth. They'll go into the county, Judea. And then they'll go into the next county, Samaria. And then they'll keep going all the way to the ends of the earth. That's the, the outline of Acts. It's the outline of gospel expanse. The gospel is like a, it, it, it's like a drop of water that hits a, a pool of water. And the waves go out from it. The ripples immediately, they, they just go out. And you see them beautifully. They just expand across right over the surface of the water. That's what the gospel of Jesus is like. Hits in Jerusalem, goes out over the world, expanding, not like a ripple, but like a tidal wave, a tsunami of the grace of God. And Jerusalem, it's in Judea, it's that beginning part where, where it hits and the, the, the waters go out and it radiates 
from there. And, and what you see, if you'll turn now to Acts chapter 8, since you're in Acts, just go to Acts chapter 8 and look at verse 1 in Acts 8. So Peter preaches in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit comes and 3,000 are saved, so that's that. And, and then it's going to go out from there. And what do we see happening here in Acts 8.1? It's the martyrdom of Stephen. And, and we get the summary right here at the beginning of chapter 8. And Saul approved of his execution. That's Stephen's. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. What are those regions? Judea and Samaria. The surrounding regions. Now, now it, it's often called out here that, uh, well, this was because the church wasn't doing what they were supposed to do. Oh, the church is so ingrown, and all they do is care about each other and themselves, and so God had to persecute them to send them out. The problem with that line of thinking is that that motivation, that God, the re, that, that idea that that's why God persecuted the church is not found anywhere in the text. In fact, when you read the text, what you find is that the church seems to be doing exactly, exactly what they were supposed to be doing. And they're meeting a ton, and they're giving to one another, they're caring for one another, and they're, they're getting together. And, and I mean, people are looking at the church and they're so afraid to join them that they kind of keep their distance, but they're also even more afraid not to join them. Because they see that God is with them. There's this powerful thing is happening, which is what gives rise. The, the, the religious rulers are jealous of the church, and it gives rise to this moment where Stephen ends up being executed. And so God doesn't smite the church because the church is doing what's wrong and he doesn't send everybody out. No, it's part of his plan. They're, they're, they're persecuted because of righteousness, because they follow the Lord Jesus, just like Jesus was crucified, not because he did anything wrong, but because he was righteous. And that's what's happening there in Acts chapter 8. And what's fascinating here is that the leaders of the church, the apostles who were essentially the elders at the time and functioning as the elders as well, they stay in the most dangerous place. They keep the base of operations going, and they're like, you guys need to get out of here, take your families and go, get to a place of safety. But the apostles stay, and they keep running the base there. They don't, they don't abandon the post. But, but all the members of the church, they go out to Judea and Samaria, and guess what happens when they go out? They preach the word wherever they're at, and the gospel spreads to the surrounding regions. You know, Samaritans are hated by the Jews. You probably know that, that fact. We've talked about it before. There are ancient rivalries, but the gospel goes to them in Acts chapter 8. Judea and Samaria. And then the gospel keeps going. You know, Philip shares with the Ethiopian eunuch who, who obviously takes the gospel back to Ethiopia. Ethiopia, by the way, uh, and North Africa played huge in the early church. We don't think of it that way anymore. We think of it as the 1040 window, the land of Islam. But it played huge in the early history of the church. We're introduced to Saul here in Acts chapter 8, who becomes the main character of the second half of the book of Acts. You know, the first half is sort of uh, based more on Peter and the other apostles and their ministry in Jerusalem. But after this, you, you see Paul 
begins to take the gospel and others to the ends of the earth. And during this time, the church in Antioch, which is uh, Antioch, which is uh, actually north of Samaria, actually north of the land of Israel, it's a city in, in that northern portion of Palestine. That becomes a focal point for the mission of Paul. So now you had the you had the base in Jerusalem, and you have this going up to Antioch, and that becomes more than just an outpost; it becomes an actual base. And it becomes a sending place. That's where Paul and Barnabas are first sent out from. You know, it's a place where there's teaching and prophecy and, and people are getting saved and glorious things are happening. And from there, Paul is sent out. And Barnabas, and they, they start going to other places, into Asia Minor and, and then further into Europe. And, and, and you see the gospel spread throughout the book of Acts. And Acts actually ends with Paul in Rome. Many believe that Paul actually went as far, he actually got to Spain and then ended up back in Rome for his execution. That's what tradition tells us. And then, of course, we know that the gospel spreads even further, right? The gospel spreads through the pilgrims and others across the Atlantic Ocean, and and it spreads through others across Asia. And And it comes to the shores of this country, People like the Puritans and, and, and William Penn, they come to these shores. And, and then the gospel comes, it comes to us at our time and in our place here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. It comes to us. And I think if every one of us sat down and started to trace out, how did the gospel come to me? It'd be fascinating, it'd be fascinating. I'm the grandson of Italian immigrants. They were coming from essentially Roman Catholic backgrounds. When they, when they settled in Philadelphia and then through the Pentecostal revivals, you know, that started out in, in Kansas and, and California, those spread through the minority uh, uh, communities in the urban areas and the cities that came to Philadelphia. And that's how my grandparents came to Christ. And that's how the gospel came to me. And then one day the Holy Spirit lifted me up and landed me in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Oh, it wasn't quite like that. It wasn't quite. But it was sort of like that. And how did the gospel come to you? How did it come to your family? The gospel came to us through the, through the work of the Holy Spirit and gospel advance across the globe. And it's important for us to Recognize. Oh, I, I almost forgot to mention, you know, the gospel, you know, it comes to us and, 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 uh, and you see this all the way through the New Testament and, and we kind of get it bookended here. And so in Revelation 5, 9, you, you see how the gospel has come to people like us. It's held in the, these containers of clay. And so you look at Revelation 5, 9, there to the end, they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have been made and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. You see this here? You see this here? Every one of our ethnicities represented here all the different strains of European or, or African or Asian descent. All of our ethnicities are represented here in the kingdom of God. 
This is a glorious thing. I, I think sometimes we think, well, I was born American, you know. It's almost my birthright to be given the Christian message. And, and, and that has been one of the blessings of the United States is that the gospel has permeated so much of it. But the gospel wasn't born in the United States. It didn't start a couple hundred years ago, 300 years ago. The gospel goes way back before. In fact, the United States is the ends of the earth further than Spain. It's the ends of the earth. And Lancaster, Pennsylvania is the ends of the earth. So here is our situation in time and place. Crossway Church, along with every other local church, is a gospel outpost. We are the benefactors of the missionaries, the apostles that went before us. We are the inheritors of the apostles' work in the first century. And the gospel has come to us, and this church is an outpost of gospel work. It's important because it's important for us to realize this and grasp it because it is dangerous for us to forget that you and I are manning an outpost in enemy territory. Remember, we're not the main base. We're not the place where the gospel started. We're a place that the gospel flowed to, and now we're holding this fort. We're, we're establishing a base here. Think of it this way. We're immersed in enemy territory. Immersed in it. We're at war. We're not, not, in, not war in the way that the world knows war. I don't mean that. We're in a, in a greater war, a more important war, a war that's fought with, with the weapons that God gives us. And the Lord himself promises to keep us, to keep us faithful, to cause us to stand, even though the fort may seem surrounded at points and under siege. The Lord himself promises to cause us to stand and to be effective and to be ultimately victorious. Do you know what an outpost is? An outpost, may I have that next slide please? Thank you. Now it's working. Okay. An outpost are troops apart from a main force. A small group of troops stationed at a distance from the main body of an army and assigned to guard a place or an area. Outpost Crossway is a gospel fort, and we, you and I, are the soldiers given the responsibility to keep it. That's who we are. And to advance the gospel mission, build up the local church. So now we have, we have some situational awareness. We're an outpost. We're the soldiers. We're called. We're responsible to build up this local church. Well, a second way to engage this reality of building up the local church is to establish and develop our outpost. This is what the Lord has given to us. Since we are a gospel outpost and we are on mission, it's critical that we establish and develop our outpost. We need to strengthen it. We need to build it out. Doing so makes us more effective, keeps our tools sharp, sharpens our skills, keeps us engaged, makes us more useful. Here's a story I told a few years ago. I told you once before about failing to keep up an outpost. And it's extra sad. It's a true story. Extra sad 
um, given the crisis in Afghanistan today. On October 3, 2009, a force of around 400 insurgents attacked a U.S. outpost in Afghanistan defended by 50 soldiers, 50 U.S. soldiers. This was Combat Outpost Keating. Combat Outpost Keating, and it was situated in one of the most remote, uh, excuse me, one of the most remote northeast locations in Afghanistan. The terrain there is evidently brutal, and the establishment of this outpost was difficult from the beginning. In fact, this outpost got its name from an officer named Keating, who died on the dangerous roads leading to the outpost. He was driving a truck, even though it was against protocol for an officer to drive the truck. It's supposed to be a private or an un- unenlisted, uh, to, to drive the truck. He shouldn't have been driving because it was so dangerous. But he did it because he didn't want to put his men in danger. And so he drove the truck and, and, and was blown up on the way. That duty cost him his life. Now, on the fateful day of the attack on combat outpost Keating, Many issues that were bubbling under the surface came roiling through and presented themselves in the saddest manner. In 48 minutes, the attackers overcame the perimeter defenses. They made their way to the center of the outpost and they set two buildings on fire. The U.S. troops regrouped, remember, just 50 men, and were able to resist, finally pushing back the invasion and taking back the outpost even while the buildings burned behind them. But it didn't happen before eight soldiers were killed and 27 wounded. More than half the force was wounded. Outpost Keating initially had a noble purpose. It was originally built to help establish security across the vast northeast of Afghanistan. The philosophy was that if there was enough security in the land, then the new Afghani government could gain the strength and structure to stand on its own. But the philosophy had shifted since the beginning, and therefore procedure began to slip. Now think about that. Uh, They lost their focus, and the philosophy began to shift. The convictions for that outpost were no longer there, and so it began to weaken. Ground supply had been nearly impossible because of the roads. Helicopter supply was also incredibly difficult because the mountains exposed them to fire while hiding those shooting at them. Command had already decided to evacuate the outpost because of that changing philosophy that I mentioned, and therefore little ongoing effort was put into fortifying the base. And at the same time, the evacuation was delayed for months because of other issues. Outpost Keating, think of this, with all these factors, it was ripe for the picking. And two days after the attack, the outpost was actually abandoned. Those men died and they fought like that and those were wounded for virtually nothing. Later followed, and and Keating died for virtually nothing in those terms. Later followed an investigation and four officers were admonished or reprimanded for command failures. Do, Do you see some of these failures? Changing philosophy that called into question the convictional need for the outpost, the conviction for what the outpost ought to be doing. It led to unmotivated command and unmotivated soldiers. And the the abandonment of critical upkeep routines 
uh, started creeping in more and more. You know, they had some difficult obstacles. It was hard to get supplies there. So maybe we shouldn't try as hard. Maybe it's not that important. And then a decision to ultimately evacuate at some point that was undetermined. You know, at some point, this place, is, this place is getting shut down anyway. It's not that big of a deal anyway. Well, how hard do we work for things that aren't valuable? You know, if you go around telling people the local church isn't that big of a deal, why would anyone give themselves to it? People died because of the failure to focus there at outpost, combat outpost Keating. And can you see that the mission of the local church at combat outpost Crossway, can you see that the mission here is even more critical than any earthly military outpost? Can you see that? We have the eternal, soul-satisfying, life-giving, incorruptible, and glorious message of Jesus Christ in these jars of clay. We do. And we have this outpost. Look at this. Look around. We're the church. We are. We have this outpost to operate from. This is mission critical. And all of this means that part of staying on mission is making certain that our outpost is established, that is cultivated, that it is developed. And we want to expand our spiritual war-making capabilities. We don't want to limit them. We don't want to diminish them. We want to expand them. We want to cultivate them. We want to learn the strategies. We want to make them more effective. It's why we support missionaries and church planners. It's why we're doing tactics. It's why we do membership courses. It's why we do care groups. It's why we do all that we do. It's why we do Sunday morning. It's why we come to the Lord's table to build up combat outpost crossway to the glory of Christ. We have to do it in a sustainable manner and an intentional manner. And that's how we establish and strengthen this gospel outpost. And we talk about this often. I mean, we don't use this terminology all the time. We use hopefully more biblical terminology, week by week. We, we're, our teachings, many of our teachings are spent on building up the body and calling us to one another, calling us to the work that we're called to, putting the emphasis where the Scriptures put the emphasis as best as we can. You know, it's, this is the case because the Bible is written to Christians. Almost all of the New Testament addresses churches, and it is meant for the building up of the church. So in all of our serving, our good works, our faith in Christ, our prayer, our sacrifice, and so on and so forth, we seek to stay on mission focused by establishing and strengthening this outpost. And the Lord has given us much grace, hasn't He? He's given us much grace. Do you realize we've been a church for 39 years? 39 years, Crossway Church. Many of you were here at the beginning Many of you have been here for more than 20 years, more than half of the existence of this church. The Lord has established combat outpost crossway. And according to His goodwill, He sustains us and He causes us to thrive to this very day, this very moment. I'm confident that if we stay on task, He will continue to utilize us and build us up and strengthen us for the mission that He's called us to. Now, in terms of, so we talk about this often, but in terms of increasing our capabilities as an outpost, we can see that this has a physical component to it as well. 
And this building has been an excellent meeting house for us. It's been a good expenditure. It's, it's a good stewardship of taking the material wealth that God has given us and then, and then translating it into a tool that God can use to strengthen this outpost. Yes, we could do it by renting facilities forever, but this is far better. It increases our capabilities far more. It's a better tool for the job, for the mission. And it's that time of year when we focus on this tool. It's time to collect our annual building fund giving goals. Over this month and a little bit of the next month, we're going to collect our annual giving goals. You have given. Together, we have given faithfully. Together, we have given all that we could. Together, we have met our financial responsibilities regarding the operation, the physical upkeep of this outpost, this tool. By the grace of our Lord, we're in a good financial position today. God has used our giving and our stewardship to put us in a good financial position today. And so we want to continue, even on the physical front, with the tool to expand the capabilities of this tool. We want it to become all that it's supposed to become, to its full potential. And so if we're able, we want to take another big step. This is one of the big. There's lots of, of projects to be done around the building, things that, that we put into the plan at the beginning that we couldn't afford at the beginning, and it was fine. It's like, kind of like coming into the land of promise. You know, they, God didn't give it to them all at once, but one step at a time. And we've been doing that. Perhaps around from time to time, you see the improvements around. It's not the most important thing we do, but it's part of expanding the capabilities of this tool so that it expands the capabilities of Combat Outpost Crossway Church. And so one of those big chunks is to finish out the lower level. And we have a plan to mostly finish out the lower level. And of course, the pastor is in conjunction with our church administrator, Dave Howell, and in conjunction with the financial review team, we're talking about the best way to do this. We've been talking about it. We've raised it a couple of times in all church care groups. Uh, not, we didn't spend a lot of time on it, so if you don't quite remember, it's okay. But we did raise it a couple of times. But now it's time we're thinking, this is it. We can get serious about this. We can do it. And we want to expand the capabilities of this tool if we're able. So we want to mostly finish out the lower level. And by mostly finishing out the lower level, that increases our capabilities, which will have a good impact on our abilities. And it will also enable us to finish out a couple of the classrooms on the second level for offices. Pastors don't really have offices right now. When we came into the building, we thought, Let's save a few dollars by holding off on that. But we have a plan to turn uh, the classrooms upstairs into offices as we finish out the lower level. And even that's not ideal, but it, it could be a very good step for us. And so we want to put a couple of offices in upstairs, maybe in a small conference room, take up, take up a couple of classrooms to do that. We have a plan for it that we've had since the beginning. So finishing out the lower level, giving us more capability for ministry and adding a couple of offices on the second level. That's what we'd like to do. And I, I'm not going to give you the full numbers right now. We'll do that over the coming weeks. Maybe we'll wait till the all-church care group. We'll try to figure out what the best way is because we don't have it all in hand just yet. But let me tell you why it's a good time for us to be thinking about this. First of all, we're approaching our refinance. Our building loan was amortized over 20 years at the beginning but when it comes to commercial loans, they typically will only allow you to lock a rate 
for five years on a commercial loan. So it's different than a home mortgage. It's something that's important to note, that when you get a commercial loan, even as a nonprofit, it's different than a residential mortgage. And so keep that in mind. We can only lock it for five years. We're coming up on the five years, and it's time to get a refi. And it looks like we're going to be able to get a favorable rate on our new loan. And that's very exciting. That means we may may be positioned well to take on a project like this. Secondly, we're in a good financial position, excuse me, we're in a good financial position because of the Lord's provision and good stewardship. The Lord has given us the grace to steward well. We're in a very good financial position all because of His grace to us. And through our giving together, the Lord's enabled us this for us. And third, if we can get a good response in the building fund giving goals, a response that, that, that's better than normal, then we should be able to do this renovation without too much financial strain on the position of the church. So that again, we continue to be good stewards of where we're at as a church and servicing the loan. So, like I said, we'll give you more information on the numbers in the coming weeks and months, but for now, let me simply say that if every member household was, to, was able to give, set as a giving goal, if every member household, so guess we're not, we're not including you or asking you to give, but for our members, if every member household could give $2,400 in giving goals over the coming year, we would be very well positioned for this renovation and the expansion of this physical tools capabilities. Now, we know that not everybody can do that. And I want to encourage you, don't, don't, don't freak out. That has to be an average. The 2400 has to be an average. That's not the point. Those who have been able to do more have been doing more. That's the way the, the body's supposed to work, that those who can do more do more, but that everyone participates. Let everyone participate at the level that they're able, according to the faith that God has given to them. And if we do that, well, this will be easy. Let me end this point here with this note. Um, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. As we build our capabilities, as, as we in a convictional manner recognize we need to continue building up the local church. No, the, the physical plant is not the most important thing about the local church. Goodness sakes, no, it's not. We've preached that all along. I, I can't remember how many times I've said it, that the building is not the mission. The gospel is the mission. The building is a tool to help us with the mission. But the physical plant is that tool. And we want to build out its capabilities. And as we do that, along with the many other things that we're doing, as we do that in a convictional manner, we strengthen Combat Outpost Crossway. We make it more useful, more effective for the gospel in this world. It gives us more capability. And we go on the offense. And you know what? The gates of hell cannot, cannot prevail against it. To advance the global mission, build up the local church. To advance the global mission, build up the local church, a third way to engage this reality is to seek to accomplish this together. I cannot stress this enough. Aren't you glad that we are not in this alone? We're not in this gospel mission alone. Look around. We're not, we're not alone, are we? 
We have one another, but even more importantly, we have the Holy Spirit with us always, and by the Holy Spirit, our Lord Jesus walks with us. Every one of us, He walks with us. And He's with us in a unique way when we gather, and He's with us in a unique way when we come to His table, as we will be today. We are not alone. The Father is always with us. God is with His children. And that's all we need. But the Lord has also given us one another. We belong to each other. And we do this work, this gospel work, we do it together. One of the key ways that people know that we are Christians is by our love for one another. It's by our togetherness. And it's by our heart for one another. Not just, not just love sort of ambiguously thought up and thrown out into the world, but there are objects for our love. And you know the primary object for our love, the outworking of our love in the Scripture, over and over and over and over again, aside from the Lord Himself, which comes first, it's one another in the local church. It's one another in the local church. You and I belong to each other. You should be the target of my love. I should be the target of your love. And in this we show our unity. We show that we belong to Christ Jesus. Look at this text, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. You see how... Our unity is necessary for a demonstration of the gospel in this world. Can you see how critical unity is to our Lord? Unity matters to Him and also has benefits for us. When we're unified, it makes us effective. Take the negative side. Take disunity to help us understand the positive side better. Disunity, division... Conflict and infighting, it leads to disaster. And so here's just one example from the Scripture, and there's many. There's a time when Israel's facing a great multitude. There's an army from Moab and from Ammon coming up against Israel. It's uh, Jehoshaphat, the king. It's a huge army, huge army. It's a, it's a horde, the Scripture calls them. And Israel's afraid, and they pray. And God tells them, he prophesies, he says, I'm going to fight for you. Just go out to battle. And just stand there. And I'm going to take care of it. Now think about that. So, th- so they had to do something, right? They were to go out together. Come on, everybody. Come on, here we go. Why do we have to do this? I, you know, it's not going to make any difference. What are you supposed to do when we get there? Come on, here we go. We're all going together. And they go out together. And they stand. And God sets an ambush. So it's unity from the Israelites in the work of God. But what is the ambush he uses to destroy his enemies? For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. That Mount Seir is the inhabitants of Edom. And so they destroyed their allies there. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold... There were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. And I think you can see that disunity brings destruction. God help us. 
But unity points to Christ. And this sums it up nicely in James chapter 3, verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, and we have to put these to death in our own hearts, don't we? There will be disorder in every vile practice. If disunity brings disaster, well then unity has the sweet fruit of victory and success. The more unified we are, the more effective we are for Christ Jesus. Let me say off the top here, this can be hard for Americans. I mean, I think it can be hard for all people. In this day and age, like I said earlier, the information age, the, the whistleblower and the, uh, the, 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 uh, the contrarian is valued above all things. I think if you were to just take a survey of the loudest voices in the media, you would conclude that the biggest problem in the world today is authority. And you may also conclude that authority, just generally speaking, is bad. We've talked about this many times. And therefore, every voice against authority should be given equal weight and prominence and and that's, that's, that's the, the highest moral value. Now, obviously, if you think about that, 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 would, that would destroy every single thing. It would, it would lead, if, if, that's all, if that's true, if that's always the case, it would lead to utter chaos. And, 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 and let me be very clear, the, the, the purveyors of such notions, oh, they have plans for authority. In fact, they're the most authoritarian of all. So just keep that in mind when you see that, being, that narrative being pushed in the world over and over again, over and over again, whether you see it in class warfare or ethnic warfare or, or moral warfare, what's morality? Oh, it's not new. It's been pushed for a very long time. No. Authority is from God and rightly held. It's proper and good. It's necessary. It's critical. It's not going to go away anytime soon. The only question is, will the people in authority honor God or won't they? That's really the only question. And so it can be hard to think in terms of unity. And even the idea of unity might seem frightening in our day and age. What are you saying? I have to agree with every single thing? Uh, Of course not. Of course not, right? Of course not. Critical thinking is critical. It's, it's important. We need to live lives of faith that are examined lives of faith, thoughtful lives of faith. But can I just put it out there and ask, so what then becomes of unity? You know, if everyone has so many diverse opinions... Are those opinions ever muted? Are they ever subjected to leadership? Are they ever brought under the, the direction of authority? Are they, you know, I, I think in America one of the big, the big things to do is, well, I'll, I'll, I'll be a part of this to a certain point, but I choose not to be unified in the rest of these ways. I won't tell anyone. I, won't, I just won't engage. I just won't participate. You know, there's an appropriate time for that. But really not with the church. Right? Not in Christ and not with the people that we live out the faith with. 
Unity is critical to Christ. It's meaningful to him. It, It brings him glory. And it makes us effective. Without unity, combat outpost crossway is doomed. But with unity, combat outpost crossway is established and cultivated and effective for Christ. Not only are we more effective, but unity makes every burden lighter. And there are a lot of burdens in this world. There are many burdens. That's why the Scriptures tell us to bear one another's burdens, to help one another carry the burdens. We do this together as a church, even as we, our burden is to, to establish the outpost, to, to cultivate it, to cause it to be effective, to do what we can to make it stronger, to strengthen it, Right? Well, if we take those burdens up together, it makes the burdens more doable, lighter. I have this humorous memory where I had a, a 1971, my first car was a 1971 Volkswagen Bug. It wasn't in 1971, okay? This was like 1989, all right? But I had a 1971 Bug. I was born in 1970, so. I could actually pick up the front end of that car myself. Not that huge of a feat because the engine was in the back. I could go to the front of my car. Think of, imagine doing this. Go to the front of your car and just, uh, and lift it up off the ground. And, and what's really funny is I could get a group of guys and say, hey, guys, you know, let's pick my car up and put it over there. And we could, we could do it. You know, four or five guys, just pick it up, move it over. I, well, I couldn't do that alone. And it's, it's, it's kind of funny, kind of humorous to think that of, of a group of guys picking up a car and moving it around. But even cars in the lot today, in fact, afterward, let's go out there and see <laughs> how few guys can lift a, a, a truck out there and move it around. We can do it, even though it seems so heavy. When we started this building project, I mean, you remember, I, I, I mean, I... Um, I sought to find faith and to stir you up in it. I don't mind confessing to you that my, the, the knees of my spirit were knocking when I signed that loan. But we have seen God faithfully provide, not just year by year, not just month by month, but day by day to the point where by His grace we're in the best financial position we've ever been in. That's not to boast. It's not to boast at all. It's to give thanks to God to know that if it weren't for Him we would be in the worst financial position. We, we would have lost the building. We, I mean, we, we'd be back in a school. It would have never happened. But God said, no, this is good. It, it, I want you to have a meeting house that functions, that, that helps you in the mission, that's a tool for mission right here, right now, in this place and at this time at the ends of the earth for combat outpost crossway. God has done it. He will do it again. And you know what? If we all continue to join in, if we all participate, if we have unity, it will be like 10 guys left in my Volkswagen bug. I mean, it will almost be nothing. We can do that. It would be that easy if we all are unified and participate. You know what? I think the building and giving to this renovation, 
I think it could be one of the great sort of, uh, of connection points for us. Uh, illustration from the physical world to the metaphysical, from the, from the material to the spiritual, you know, where it's like, okay, look what we can do together. Look around. You can see it. Here's the, here's the building. Here's the renovation of the lower level. Here are the new offices upstairs. You see that? We did that together. We made it, we did it easily. It was, it, we hardly broke a sweat because we were all participating and unified. Well, guess what? If we can do that, if God will, will bless that, well, he's going to bless our evangelism efforts and our outreach efforts, our, our efforts to love one another, to be built up, to stand firm in a world that can be hostile. He'll bless all, all those efforts. Psalm 133, verse 1, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. You know, I think I forgot to mention, <laughs> we're collecting giving goals. <laughs> um, it's kind of funny that we forget that. Uh, if you are ready to set a giving goal for this fiscal year, to join your hand, to put it on the plow, to push together in this effort to cultivate, to build up, combat uh, outpost crossway, um, Go to crosswaypa.org, go to the resources tab, you'll see registration, and under there, you'll see giving goals. We're, by the way, we're going to try to make the navigation, the website, a little bit more intuitive in the coming weeks and months. But nonetheless, for now, just go to crosswaypa.org, up on the right, resources, click on registration, you'll see giving goals. Simple form you can fill out and basically say, uh, Lord willing, th- this is my goal, I'd like to give this much over the course of the next 10, 11 months to the building fund of Crossway Church so that we can accomplish this together. If we can receive a higher level of giving goals, we'll be able to do this renovation. And, um, and I think that's really going to increase the capabilities of our building. Uh, in coming weeks, we'll probably also offer the physical giving goal cards. So that if you prefer, you can just fill out a physical card and turn that in. And, uh, and those giving goals help us understand uh, the degree of your participation. You know, are you participating? And then what we can kind of count on to help us budgeting and understanding, can we do this project? And like I said, we're going to give you more specific numbers as we have them and we firm up our approach to things. But for now, know that if we can average about 2,400 per member household, um, we should be able to easily do this renovation. I want to ask Doug to come. And we're going to come to the Lord's table and celebrate what he's done for us and remember what he's done for us and give him thanks. Remember this, to advance the global mission, we want to build up the local church. And by building up the local church, we're going to be positioned for far more mission work, far more far-reaching mission work in the years to come. We're already doing more. We want to do even more. And we look forward to that. We want to advance the the global mission, right? Well, let's recognize we're the missionaries. We're the soldiers. We've got a work to do here. So build up the local church and you will strengthen and advance the global mission.
I ended the message in point three had to do with unity. And I'd like to ask the ushers to come and please go ahead and begin passing out the elements. We'll partake together in just a moment. I talked about unity and how important unity is to Christ. How important our love to one another is to Christ. In fact, we, we demonstrate that we know Christ by loving one another. And part of the way we demonstrate our love for one another is our unity. We enjoy unity with Christ, union with Christ. We enjoy unity with one another. We can have victory when we're unified, including small things like renovating the lower level, but in bigger things in gospel mission. We experience these wonders and, and, and these glories of unification. And the more unified we are, the more we see that. But I think we need to point out something as we come to the Lord's table. No one was unified with Jesus when he went to the cross. And it wasn't because he was doing what was wrong. It was actually because he was doing what was right. Scripture says he was fulfilling righteousness. And so when he is arrested and carried off to court, kangaroo court, when he's, when he's tormented and ridiculed and when he carries the cross on his own back and takes it out to Golgotha so weak that he can't actually finish the task when they lay him down on top of the rough splintery wood and drive the nails into him when they lift up the cross his body is hung between heaven and earth and the father looks away He is very much alone. He is more alone than you have ever felt alone. It is the definition of aloneness in that moment. No one has ever been or will ever be more alone than Jesus was in that moment, in those hours. No one carried his burden. No one strengthened him in that moment. He was alone. He was alone so that he could purchase our unity with him. He was alone so that we didn't have to be. He suffered, completely disunified. that we would never know what it means to be left like that. And when we partake today, 
remember the unity that he purchased for us. The union that we have with him because of his body and his blood. And therefore the union we have with each other. Let's ask the Lord to bless these elements this morning. For more information, head to our website at crosswaypa.org.